if you're visiting with us, we've been in a great series. It's called Hope for the Broken. Um, there's just so much material and so much stuff that I know, uh, as Chad prepared last week, he called me and said, man, there's just so much here. Uh, I, I'm just going to have to kind of funnel it down. And that's kind of what I've had to do. In fact, uh, the message this week, I've had to literally divide it into two parts. And so we'll finish with the second part of this part, uh, which was the fourth part. So there'd be the second part of the fourth part. Um, and we'll finish with that next week on the fourth. So if you can wrap your minds around that, then, then you, you know, you're really good. So, but it's been an amazing series. And um, so um, if you haven't been with us, I would challenge you to go back and listen to the, to the first three. Because I think it'll help set up what we're talking about today. And kind of give you an idea. You know, one of the things we've talked about through this series is, is just the fact that there's not a person in here that's not broken. I mean, every one of us are broken. We're broken people. We're broken by the sins we've done, by the sins committed against us. We're broken by the circumstances of life and the things we go through. We're just broken people. And the problem is we try to fix ourselves and we can't fix ourselves. There's only one, one person that can fix us and, and his name is, is Jesus. And it's having that relationship with Jesus Christ. So today I, I want to look, this is kind of the, the what we're going to focus on the next two weeks. And it's just this, this basic theme, set me free from me. We want to be set free from us. And you'll understand why in just a moment. You know, the Bible teaches that you have three enemies that are trying to mess up your life. They want to defeat you. They want to keep you from having joy, having purpose, and having meaning in your life. These three enemies come against you. Like, I, now, I, I got to be honest. If, if there's one thing that I struggle with, it's not necessarily, I, would, I, I wouldn't say it's a sin. Lucy might. But I wouldn't. But, and that is just over the years, and it's probably started when I was a youth pastor. But, um, you know, if she goes up to bed early on, on Monday nights, and I'm home, uh, I'll flip over to USA and watch a little bit of Monday Night Raw. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know why I just do that, you know, Tuesday Night Smackdown. But, uh, so, you know, I always have, when I was a youth pastor, the kids would all chip in, and we would, we would get the pay-per-views at, at, at our house for the big WrestleMania events. You know, the kids, our house would be full of full of kids just want watching and, and wrestling around, you know, on the couches. It was just a blast. So it probably stems from those days. But, but if you ever watched that, not that you would admit it, but if you ever have, you know, the enemies that we fight, they're, they're, it's kind of like that handicap match where it's three on one, you know, and, and literally the guy has no chance unless it's scripted that he has a chance, you know. But, but in reality, he shouldn't have a chance. And that's what we fight. We, it's this, these enemies that, that come against us, and, and it's just literally three on one. The Bible calls these enemies that we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world comes around us. They surround us and come around us. Satan comes against us. And the battle with the flesh is within us. Satan, again, comes and attacks from without, but... But the flesh comes from within. As I said a couple weeks ago, if you don't know who you're fighting against, you'll never win the battle and you'll go through life feeling uh, defeated in everything you do. 
Now, how many of you think, let me ask you this, how many of you think that the biggest enemy we face is Satan? How many, how many think that, you can raise your hand, it's, it's okay, you're not, nobody's going to think, I'm not going to say, oh, eh, you're wrong. No, just how many think that the biggest enemy is Satan? Anybody? Okay, raise your hands. Come on, raise them high. Okay. How many think the biggest enemy is the world around us? Okay, it's kind of not necessarily split, but there are a few on each side. Here's the thing. Your biggest enemy is not Satan, and it's not the world. You know who your biggest enemy is? Your biggest enemy is you. You are your biggest enemy. You are your biggest problem. That's why, when you, that's why you, you can't run away and hide from your problems. Because they go with you. Because they're inside of you. And whether you want to believe it or not, as a follower of Jesus, you have these two natures that are competing inside of you. You have the old nature that just wants to do what's fun and what's convenient and what's easy. And then you have the new nature that's fighting against the old to help you to become more like Jesus. And there's this battle, there's this fight, this three-on-one handicap match that's coming against you. And as we've talked about, especially the last several weeks, it's not, a, it's not just a struggle that we face. It's a struggle that the Apostle Paul faced, that he wrote about in Romans 7, and we've looked at that. You remember what he said? He said, I can't figure myself out. All my best intentions are good enough. I want to do the right thing, but I don't. And I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do. And if you're honest with yourself, we all find ourselves there, don't we? You see, the truth is the battle for you is inside of you. And I believe that much of the unhappiness in our life is because we tend to listen to us instead of listening to God. We listen to the old nature instead of the new nature that lives within us through the Spirit. And when we do that, we begin to feel the effects of what I want to refer today, today as the seven weapons of self-destruction. You see, there are things that we do to ourselves through the choices we make that damage who we are, that hurt, that cause us to self-destruct that causes an enormous amount of stress and an enormous amount of pain and unhappiness in life. In fact, you can talk to almost any psychologist and they'll tell you that these seven weapons tend to mess up more people's lives than almost anything else. So for just a moment, I just want to look briefly at these seven weapons because over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about the cure for each one of these. So the first weapon is this, it's shame. It's shame. I mean, when you feel shame or guilt or when you feel regrets, those things literally will rob you of joy and happiness in life. And so we have the weapon of shame. Second of all, we have the weapon of uncontrolled thoughts. Like we said two weeks ago, your thoughts shape who you are, and they shape how you live your life. The third weapon is compulsions. Compulsions are those inner drives, those inner desires. You, call, you can call them lusts or habits or impulses or whatever, but they're the things in your life that you feel you just must do whether you want to do them or not. You're just kind of compelled to do it. The fourth weapon is fear. Fear will limit your life and destroy your happiness and potential, and it will destroy God's purpose for your life. 
if you allow fear to control you. The fifth weapon is hopelessness. Hopelessness. Hopelessness keeps you from moving on. When you start to feel hopeless about anything, you get discouraged, and it will cause you to eventually just kind of give up, to give up on yourself, to give up on others, and for some, to even give up on life. The sixth weapon is bitterness. And bitterness is a cancer that will eat you alive. It's a poison that will destroy you from the inside out, and it's a weapon that will destroy those around you, and especially those you love the most. If you allow bitterness to reside in your heart. The seventh weapon is insecurity. Insecurity will make you feel like you're never good enough. You're never good enough. So you're not, you're not good enough for your spouse. You're not good enough for your friends. You're not good enough at your job. And most importantly, you're not good enough for God. And there's always this tension between you and God. Not from his point of view, but from yours. Because you're so afraid that you're just going to screw up and mess up. And God's just going to reject you. Or he's going to say, no, you're toast and you're out of here. That insecurity. So what's the solution? If these are the seven, kind of seven weapons of self-destruction, what's the solution? Well, the classic passage on dealing with these weapons of self-destruction is found in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, just open them up, especially to the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8 of the book of Romans. You'll, you'll also be able to follow along on the screen. But this is a great passage. Romans 7 explains these seven things, what these seven things do in your life. Romans 8 kind of gives us the answer, kind of gives us the cure on how we can get through these things. So as we come to the end of Romans 7, after Paul has outlined his struggle, like we said, Paul goes, I'm just like you guys, man. I want to do what's right. I just don't do what's right. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I end up doing what's wrong. I mean, we've all been there. We all know what that's like. He goes on at the end in verse 24, and look what he says. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Oh, what a miserable person I am. It's like he's going, all the good things I know that I want to do, I just end up not doing those. And all those things I don't want to do, that's what I do. I'm just screwed up, man. I am just messed up. In fact, I've tried everything and nothing seems to help. I've watched Oprah. You know, I've gone to Tony Robbins seminars. You know, I even bought, uh, you know, a Dr. Phil book. But none of these things, none of these things work. Paul says, I'm a miserable person. And then he says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death, dominated by the old nature. Now, I want you to notice something. He doesn't say, what will free me? He says, who will free me? Why? Because the answer to the problems inside of you is not a pill. It's not a bottle. It's not a program. It's not a book. It's not a DVD. It's not a seminar. It's not hypnosis. The answer is a person. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse 25. He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
And here's the problem that so many people have. You are trying to find the cure for the things that are going on in your life through everything else except a relationship with Jesus. And as long as you try everything but Jesus, you are going to fail miserably. So as we look at how I can be set free from me, I want to begin to unpack Romans 8. Again, I'm just going to focus on the first cure today. But I believe Romans 8 gives us some incredible truths for fighting these seven destructive habits that we can develop in our life. So let's begin. The first cure is simply this, and this is the one I want to focus on today. I must remind myself daily what God through Jesus has done for me. Now, you may say that's really basic, but you know what? That's the beginning point. But I wonder, even though it's basic and even though we've heard it, I wonder how many of us actually do it. That we just remind ourselves daily what God, through Jesus, has done for us. You see, the starting point of getting healthy is this. As I've said before, being a Christian is not about the word doing. It's about the word done. It's not what you can do. But it's what God, through Jesus, has already done for you. But the problem so many of us have, and the reasons we struggle with so many of these these destructive habits, is because we think we have to do it. I just have to be better. I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And we forget about the fact that God says, no, 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 I've I've done it for you. you just got to trust my son. You've got to trust him with your life. And let me tell you, remembering this will set us on a path of being set free from the weapon of shame. The weapon of shame. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 of Romans 8 for just a moment. First four verses of Romans 8. Let's let's start in verse 1. What a powerful verse. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to read it again, but I want you to let it sink in. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And that means that God doesn't judge you for all the things you've done wrong if you've trusted Jesus and asked for, for, for forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus was judged in your place. You see, God doesn't have to condemn you for your sin because Jesus took the hit and paid the penalty for your sin, and he died on the cross. And as we've said before, the whole Old Testament pointed to the time when God would send his son to pay the ultimate price for sin. And all through the Old Testament, we learn that the ultimate price is paid through the shedding of blood. In fact, the last verse that Chad focused on last week, remember what that verse talked about? It said, and God made clothing from animal skins to cover up Adam and Eve. You remember after the, after the sin, after they ate the apple, after they realized they were naked? They were shamed. They felt shame. They felt regret. They felt guilty for what they'd done. And God comes. And the amazing thing that God does is this. 
He takes an innocent third party, kills it, takes its skin, and covers the shame of Adam and Eve. And a lot of scholars, in fact, most scholars believe that this is the beginning point of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament in which the people learn from this point on that it, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And all through the Old Testament, it points to that, that it takes the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. Now, it's important to remember that this passage that we're talking about in, in, in Romans 8, it's not, it's not talking about people who who, who haven't given their life to Christ. He, he's talking to people who have committed themselves to Jesus. In other words, if you've received him into your life, the Bible says that the condemnation you deserved was transferred to Jesus. You are now under no condemnation. And that means God doesn't get mad and take you out every time you sin. Why? Because he's already received the payment for your sin. Now, I know that's tough, but how awesome is that? He's already received the payment for your sin. Now, I also want you to notice that it doesn't say that after you become a Christian, you won't sin. Because the reality is, you're still going to sin. I still sin, you're still going to sin. It doesn't say that you're not going to make mistakes. Because you make mistakes, and I make mistakes. You're still going to make them. It doesn't say that you're not going to, to fail and look stupid. Because you are going to fail and look stupid. It just says that you're now under no condemnation. In other words, you don't have to walk around with shame and with guilt because when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he not only paid for all the sins you committed today, last week, and last year, but he paid for all the sins that you're going to do tomorrow and next week and the rest of your life. They're paid for. In fact, he knew before I was born every sin I was going to commit, and he paid for them in advance. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who come and confess their sins to the Father, we do not have to walk around in shame. Understand, shame and guilt are the results of unconfessed sin. Not sin that's been confessed to the Father. You remember the story of David we talked about and how David struggled because literally he tried to hide his sin for a year. And on the outside, everything looked really good and he was winning the battles and he was going to, to do, you know, doing all the right things outwardly. But inside, he was being destroyed. Look what he wrote in Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5. It says, when I refuse, get this, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer day or the summer heat. Unconfessed sin in David's life caused shame and guilt and regret, and he'll do the same for you. But when we confess to the Father, all that's taken away. All that's taken away. So here's the question you have to answer. What sin am I will, unwilling to, to confess to God? 
I mean, if you're struggling with, that, with shame and, and guilt and regrets in your life right now, maybe you need to ask yourself some tough questions. And the first one being, what sin am I harboring? What sin am I not willing to just go to God and confess and begin to get rid of? What is it in your life that you're keeping because you're not ready to get rid of it? Because when that happens like David, it will take you out. Verse 2 goes on in Romans 8 and says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. How awesome is that? So not only is there no condemnation, but now we have a new power source. And that new power source is the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us, that sets us free. I wish I had, and you guys know what they are. I mean, probably you ladies more than maybe the guys, but I don't know what they're called necessarily. I've seen them. But these, there are these things that, you know, they're little different sizes and they stack inside each other. And then after you put them in there, they're kind of one thing. You know what I'm talking about? What are they called? Nesting dolls? Okay, whatever. Okay, so... Say we had some nesting dolls up here. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God lives in Jesus. And Jesus, through the Spirit, lives in us. So it's like we take a nesting doll that represents God and we put it inside of us. And then we take another nesting doll that represents Jesus. We put it inside of us. Why? Because God's there and God lives in Jesus, so he lives here. And then we take another nesting doll and we put it in, and that represents the Holy Spirit. And then we put the top on, and guess what? That's us. And inside of us is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit of God. We have a new power source that helps us to overcome, that helps us to get rid of that old nature that's in our life. The cool thing is because I have Jesus, I have the power to live life the way he wants me to live it. And I don't have to just rely on the willpower in my own self. You see, not only has Jesus paid the price for your sin, he has given you a new power source through the Spirit that comes to live in all of us who take Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, here's what we need to understand. When you want to change things in your life, it's not about what you can do through the will, your own willpower, but now it's what Jesus can do through you by the power of the Spirit that lives in you. Verse 3 goes on to say, The law of Moses was, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, this is what he's saying. In other words, just keeping God's laws cannot save you. Why? Because of our sinful nature. In other words, just keeping the law only affects the outward. It doesn't change the nature of the person of who he is. Let, let me illustrate it like this. I want to do this very quickly. Let's just say I could, that I had, a, a, let's just say I had this big pig in here that just came out of this farmer's mud pit. You know? So we got this pig on stage. And it's just covered in mud, and it's dirty, and it stinks, and it's smelly. And so I'm standing by this pig. Ooh, that's pretty bad. And I say, what is this? You would say, it's a what? It's a pig. That's who it is. It's a pig. Now, I could take that pig, and I could take it down to the car wash, and I could wash it, you know, 30 times. I could get all the dirt off. I could bring it back. 
And I could put it up on stage and I could put perfume on it. I could put some oil of Olay on it to make its skin soft and smooth. You know, I could put a bonnet on it, maybe some lipstick and a dress. And I could set it in front of you and, and I could ask you, what is it? What is it? It's a pig. You see, its nature hasn't changed. The outward may, but the nature hasn't. The nature hasn't changed. Here's the thing. If you're going to experience radical and transforming change in your life, you can't just spruce up the outside. Your nature must change. And no self-help program can change your nature. Only Jesus can change your nature. And so God knew that laws couldn't change our nature, couldn't save us. Paul goes on in verses 3 and 4 and says, So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be sat fully satisfied for us who no longer follow, get this, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Now what's he saying? He's saying that because of Jesus, your sin debt has been fully satisfied. It's been fully satisfied. And you get into heaven not because you're inher inherently righteous or you're inherently good, or not because you kept 100% of God's laws. And not because you paid the penalty for, of your sin for yourself. You get into heaven because Jesus was righteous. And because he paid the penalty for your sin. And now his righteousness is applied to our lives when we take him as our Lord and Savior. So the question is this. If I need to remind myself daily what God through Jesus has done for me to help get rid of the shame and the guilt and the regrets in my life, then the question is this, do you understand what God has done for you? Do you fully understand it? Have you fully grasped what Jesus through God has done? When God sent his son to take your place, do you understand that? And have you allowed that to change who you are? You see, if you are serious about changing your life for the better, you've got to start where God wants you to start. And that's with understanding what Jesus has done for you and the forgiveness and the eternal life that comes and the freedom that's given because of what Christ has done on the cross for you and I. In fact, this morning... Right now, we just want to celebrate that very fact. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and make their way up on stage. And, and we just want to come together as the body of Christ to just celebrate what our God has done for us. And so this morning, if you're visiting with us today, one of the things that's a part of who we are, it's a part of our DNA as a church, is we celebrate the Lord's Supper each and every week. We believe that's the pattern that was set for us in the first church. We have a station right down here on the front. We have a station in the back. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand in a moment. 
and we're going to worship together. And I'm going to invite you to come to either the front or the back. And we're going to worship and we're going to sing. And as you come and as you take those emblems and you go back and and you are seated, I just want you to think about what God through Jesus has done for you. And allow that to impact who you are. Would you all mind taking the trays off? Well, I mean the lids off for me. Thank you. And so as we prepare this morning, Steve, just pray for us right now as we prepare to go into this time of the Lord's Supper, just remembering what God through Jesus has done.